Okay, Booker Tov. Today's doc is Yadalid, and we pick up at the very top, and we spent yesterday figuring out how the Kohen Gadol um, could use his backup wife, according to Rabbi Yehuda, so that he's always married to exactly one and <laughs> one and only one wife, one and only one wife at the right time, because the Gemara understands makes it difficult in two ways. It understands that the word Beto means kiddushin is not enough; you need nisuin. If it was just Kiddushin, then you could have just stipulated that the Kiddushin kicks in for the second wife at the moment that the first wife dies. It would have been easy. But if it's Nisuin, it's not about just a... It's, it's about an actual reality of having begun to live together. So you can't stipulate that, that when that, 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 that will take effect, that's a, an actual lived reality. So the Gemara has to decide, has, so it has to move to the idea that you did the Nisuin, and now you don't... And now it's about making a get take effect as opposed to making the marriage take effect, which makes it much more complicated. And then the other thing that the Gemara sort of asserted that made its life complicated was that it can only be one wife and not two wives. At the end of the discussion, the Gemara challenged both of those because Vayibum, it uses the word bias and we say it even applies with two wives and it even applies only after Erisin, even before Nisuin. Both of those assumptions were challenged by, based on Yibum, but the Gemara somehow said Yibum was different. It kept, by, it kept to its guns, and therefore it had to make a very complicated type of a condition that he has two wives, both of which he's Nisuatu, they're Nisuatu to him, and he gives each of them a get on different conditions, and that way it'll work out that he'll only be married to one wife at one time, regardless of what happens. The so, invented a way to have a non-married Okay. What? Second one was a girl. Okay. All right. So, so now the Gemara is moving on to a new question. It's building up. It's building up to a new question, which is, if his wife dies, won't he be an Onain? Now, the halacha is that a Kohen Gadol can bring Korbanot as an one, not a Kohen Hedyot. It says, that he doesn't leave the Beit HaMikdash if, if a, a father, mother, or immediate relative dies. So he's allowed to continue to do the Avot as an one. The halacha is he can't eat as an one, the Korbanot. But okay, anyway, nobody's eating on Yom Kippur. So there shouldn't be a problem. I should also mention parenthetically that the um, that the assumption here that when his wife dies he's an onain the pshat of the psukim is that a kohen gadol is not mitame to his wife mm-hmm. the pshat of the psukim is speaks about everybody he's mitame to etc that's the kohen gadol but anyway but by a kohen head yo when it says who he is mitame to but then it says a husband, a Baal, cannot be metameh lehechalo to desecrate or to violate. The simple sense is that Torah never mentions that a Kohen had yod is metameh to his wife, and therefore presumably the flip side is he wouldn't be an onain to his wife. However, Chazal understand that actually, based on the Pasuk, ki'im lish'ero ha'karove lav, his flesh that is close to him, she'ero zo'ishto. But they, they understand that actually a Kohen, a Kohen had yot is metame to his wife and is an onain to his wife. Rambam actually understands that that's rabbinic, interestingly, and even the, the rabbis, though, that institution were so serious about it that they made it override the Tumah of the Kuna. So anyway, I did want to point that out because here, so a Kohen Hedyot is Matame, a Kohen Gadol is not Matame, he stays in the Beit Mikdash, but both of it is the assumption, though, that it applies not only to the immediate blood relatives, you know, children, siblings, and parents, but also to wife. Um, and that therefore, um, and, and that a Kohen, and, and that a Kohen Gadol or Hedyot or a normal person is an Onain when, man is an Onain when his wife dies. So the Gemara is leading up therefore to that question, to that issue that he will, once his wife dies, he will be an Onain. Now again, why is it a problem? 
um, he can do the avoda as an onain. Well, because we had a statement that Rabbi Yehuda said, Kol Hayom. When we had the first statement that said that according to does the avoda as an onain but doesn't eat, Rabbi Yehuda says, Kol Hayom. What does Kol Hayom mean? And the Gemara says, Kol Hayom means that actually, although biblically he does the avoda, rabbinically we won't let him do the avoda the entire day because we're afraid he'll come to eat from the korbanot. And, you can, and as we said, he can't eat from the korbanot. But that only applies that day, that night already, he's biblically not an onain, so we'll let him do the avoda because even if he eats from the korbanot, it would not be a problem. So let's pick up with that on the top of Yudal Aleph. Lamar, this is to tell you, Sha'ina Ove Kolayom, the Koin Shab Yehuda, the Koin Gadol, cannot do the, who is an Onain, cannot do the Avoda the day that his wife dies, or an immediate relative dies. Kzeiro Shema Yocha, we're afraid that if you let him do the Avoda, he'll come to eat from the Korbanon, and that he's not allowed. Which is quite fascinating that, well, we're going to get to that. Which is quite fascinating because that overrides, you know, the explicit biblical Pasuk, you know, Mina Mikdash Lo Yetzei. So Amalei Ravada Barava Lurava So Ravada Barava Said to Rabba Mi Gaza Rebbe Yehuda Hashem Yochal Is Rebbe Yehuda Really not allow A Kohen Gadol To do the Avodah To serve in the Beit HaMikdash When he's in O'Name Because we're afraid He'll come to eat That's none We have our Rebbe Yehuda Of our Mishnah Rebbe Yehuda Omer Rebbe Yehuda says Um Av Ishaq Leres Maskin Lo Shema Tamut Ishto You create You set aside A backup wife Lest his wife die So that sounds like If his wife will die We're all covered But one minute Implicitly, if his wife dies, he gets his backup wife, wife kicks in, and he continues to do the avoda. We're not afraid that if we let him do the avoda, then owning he'll come to eat. Now, there's an obvious answer here, which Michael already got a guest. Amalei Hachiyashi said, "Back to what type of question is that?" Hasam over there by meaning in our case, Kevin the Yom Kippur in who? It's Yom Kippur. Nobody's eating. He won't eat. You know, it's Yom Kippur. Everybody knows you don't eat today. You don't eat, you don't eat normal things. You don't eat korbanos. Nobody's afraid that you'll come to accidentally forget and eat. So Hachab, here, by a normal case of a Kohen, a Gardel doing the Avodah when he's in Onain, that everybody eats, he's also going to come to eat. So, just because he makes Xerah during the rest of the year, he's not going to make Xerah on Yom Kippur. Now, the Gemara then asks the next question, which I was expecting someone to ask. The Gemara says, What type of question was it to begin with? Since when is he an Onan? You, you, you just got through saying yesterday that if his wife dies, he had all these gittim on condition, and what would have happened would be if his wife died in the middle of the day, she would retroactively have been divorced from him, and he would only have been married to a second wife. So he won't be an Onan. If his wife dies retroactively, he was divorced from her. So, Bahami uh, Garsha, he's divorced from her. So what was that question was true technically he won't be an onain but he'll be very distracted that his wife died but so what I mean just because Reb Yehuda just because Reb Yehuda is concerned about letting him do the avod as an onain he'll come to eat it's not exactly clear why that should have translated into a similar concern of doing the avodah even if he's distracted. So it's not at all clear how, what this answer is, which really just goes to point out that presumably this question about him being an onain might have not bought into the whole sugya yesterday about all of these fancy gitim and stipulation and retroactive and might have assumed other ways in which the backup wife can work. But anyway, the Gemara here sort of bracketed the fact that retroactively she wouldn't be the wife to ask this question of aninu. 
Okay, now we go on to the next Mishnah. We actually are now done with that first Mishnah about separating them out for seven days and the backups, the backup Kohen, the backup wife. And now we go to the actual beginning of the seven days being in the Beit HaMikdash and what he would do during that time. So let's take a look. The entire seven days that he's in the Beit HaMikdash, Mishnah. Who's Eric Adam? So he's going to start practicing doing Yavoda. You know, not the, not the Avodah Yom Kippur. You can't do the Avodah Yom Kippur now at the right time. But the regular Avodah, get used to doing it. Especially if this was a bought office. You might not generally be used to doing the Avodah. So he's going to start using this time to practice. Also, let's not forget that this one of the models for this is the Miluim. The whole idea of the Miluim was the first initiation of the Kwanim into their service in the Mishkan. And that they would do, you know, be, use this time basically as practice, as orienting and initiating <coughs> into the service. But you said he can, can he still do like let's say the Torah or not by the he, 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 take a look close with the Yamin so all seven days he does the Zrika Saddam for the Tamid he brings the Ketores there would be Ketores that would be brought half in the morning and half in the afternoon so he would do that as well which all of this is stuff that he's going to be doing in a different context yeah, on Yom Kippur. He's going to be doing Zerika Saddam. He's going to be doing Ketoros, although on, in the Kodesh Kedashim, not in the Mizbeah, not in the Mizbeah Chazav. But nevertheless, all of these are relevant. Umeiti Vatsaneiros. Now, he also cleans out the wicks and the, um, the lamps, you know, from the menorah um, in the morning, because you clean it out in the morning and you light it in the evening. Now, that, by the way, is not something that's special for the Avod of Yom Kippur. So it's interesting to note that he's actually just getting, doing all of, just getting into the mode of doing the Avod of the Beit HaMikdash, even if the specific things he's doing are not directly relevant to what he'll be doing on Yom Kippur. No, normally it would just, all this would normally be done by normal Kohanim, because, because during this seven days, he's, it could be that he has very little practice doing anything in the Beit HaMikdash. It was a bought office, you know, for the last hundred years or so. So it could be that we just want to get him used to what it means to do the Avod in the base of Mikdash. You know, so it's a seven-day seven boot camp. No, but Yom Kippur, he doesn't do the Meitiv Sanero. Uh, well, actually, we'll discuss. That's going to be a debate whether all the Avodas, even the, even the non-special Yom Kippur Avodas are done by the Kohen Gadol or not. But not necessarily. Okay, but, um, but yes, these are things that, first of all, are... The, the, like the Nehroth are not necessarily done by him on Yom Kippur and certainly these things are not done by him during the rest of the year but this is essentially like a one woman well we can talk about that I mean the Gemara goes out of its way to say I mean there's a special avoda the whole Gemara say, you know about the whole thing about the Truma Sadeshen you know that even though it's taking away the ashes it's part of what it means to do the avoda in the base of Mishdash and not to not to sort of you know denigrate that type that aspect of the avoda but the Gemara is certainly not there's no hint at all if, if anything more as it goes out it's point to, 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 to say that that has a very significant status so the, there's no sense here that this is a, a, a not a significant avoda but it's one of the one of the multiple avodot that normally would be done by a normal kohen. So yes, this basically is a week of full immersion into the avodah of the Beit HaMikdash. It's like a week boot camp, you know, to get him ready. And again, thinking about the model of the Milu. Yeah, I'm also talking about like the real difficult part where he has to hold his cough and think. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's tough. I know. So we'll, we'll talk about him. We'll talk about that. That was not what we're talking about here. Here we're talking about the daily avodas. Okay? Not things that are specific to Yom Kippur. Um, although some might be applicable. Now, what he would also do is he would put the head and the first like leg of the uh, of the of the animal. This is again the tummy of the of the of the lamb. He would offer it up because they would divide, cut it up into various portions and bring the portions to the ramp, and then from the ramp they'd bring them to the top of the altar. So he would he's not doing everything that goes on during the seven days, but key components. Okay. 
Zrikas Adam is of course the most important part of Tamid that makes it legitimate right he right he didn't do the Shrita um, and he would be um, and, and uh, that could be even done bizarre anyway Ketores Neiros those are all like key things different aspects of the Avoda and actually the burning of the first two limbs the head and the leg of the Tamid now that's on those seven days all the rest of the days of the year he doesn't do anything he doesn't have any you know it's not predetermined that what he's going to do it could be he does absolutely nothing but if he shows up on any given day on Wednesday in the middle of Tammuz and says hi I'm here I'm the Kohen Gadol what do I do today he can do whatever he wants he's got the first right to do whatever he wants you know what is it what Mel Brooks said right it's good to be king <laughs> it's good to be Kohen Gadol Kohen Gadol Makriv Chelek Barosh Vinoja Chelek Barosh Kohen Gadol except when you died on Yom Kippur right that's true because Kohen Gadol gets the first opportunity to bring whatever he wants to bring he shows up on any day he gets a choice he wants to do an avoda. he's entitled to do the avoda. he gets the right to do any avoda he wants and Noja Chelek Barosh when they're dividing up the meat of the korban he is the, he has the right to get the first portion he always can jump to the head of the line I, I have this okay. naive view that everything was like so clean and pristine and these guys must have been walking around looking like butchers yeah basically so yeah I mean there's Gemara that talk about walking up to their ankles in blood and all of that yeah. exactly okay so I mean they have like a regular water going through the floor of the base make dust to clean things off but it was not pristine alright Mantama Mantana who is the author of our Mishnah? It's asking that because obviously it's got a problem here that it knows about. Amar of Chizda Delok Rebbe Akiva. It's not like Rebbe Akiva. Di Rebbe Akiva Amar Tor Shenaf Lalav Hazah Tim Ato. So Hechi Avadavoda. So remember, we had taught not again in the previous Mishnah, but in a Brayta, we had taught that during the entire seven days they would sprinkle on him the ashes of the Paraduma. Now we have an interesting teaching of Rebbe Akiva. Rabbi Akiva says that if you are Tahor and you have the ashes of the Paraduma, the water with the ashes sprinkled on you and you're Tahor, it makes you Tameh. Mm-hmm. Now everybody might say, oh of course, isn't that what we say about a Paraduma? It makes Tameh people Tahor and Tahor people Tameh. So yeah. normally that is, the Torah says like that the person who does the sprinkling becomes Tameh or somebody who touches it becomes Tameh. There's no hint in the Torah that if you actually are a person that has it sprinkled on you, that you would somehow reverse, that even if you were Tahor, you'd become Tameh. The normal sense is if you have it sprinkled on you, you're Tameh, you become Tahor. If you're Tahor, presumably, you remain Tahor. But Rabbi Akiva says, no, it does the exact reverse. If you're Tameh, you become Tahor. If you're Tahor, you become Tameh. So therefore, it says, look, this is quite ironic. This going down, we're sprinkling on the ashes of all seven days. In case, you know, for this re- various reasons we said, you know, the best reason is the Miluim, because then at least it makes sense, it's just Stama ritual. But the other reason is that we really want to make him Tahor, but there's a question of making sure we're doing it exactly the right day, so we do it every single day. So the, so the, but the result of that would be right, ironic, according to Rabbi Akiva. We're trying to make him Tahor by sprinkling every day, and the result is that we would actually make him Tameh if he was already Tahor. Now that Tuma would not be a seven-day Tuma. It would be a one-day Tuma. He'd go to the Mikvah and be Tahor that night, but at least you would be Tameh for that day. So the Gemara says, if according to Rabbi Akiva, how can he do the Avodah for all seven days? Maybe this day you were Tahor, the ashes were sprinkled on you that made you Tameh for the rest of the day, so he basically can't do the Avodah the entire, any single day, because he's already, he's been Tameh through the ashes. So he was still agreeing against Azar. Right, the Gemara do, isn't suggesting that anybody disagrees with that. Okay, so the Gemara says like this, um, although we did see somebody disagree with it before, I think. Anyway, the Gemara says like this, um, Titania, Vizata Horala Tameh. You, this person should sprinkle on the Tameh. 
If you sprinkle on the tame person, you make him tahor. If you sprinkle on the tar person, tame, you made him tame. Dibu Rabbi Akiva, that's what Rabbi Akiva says. The Chamim, I mean, the sages say, No, 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 no. The reason it says al hatame is not to tell you that would have the reverse effect if you sprinkled on a tahor. He said, only if you sprinkle on a tamay does it work. If you sprinkle on a tahor, it's the reverse. That's what Rebbe Akiva said. They say the reason it says al hatame is to tell you that it's only considered a sprinkling when it's done on somebody that is fit to be, or something that is fit to become tamay. What does that mean? So, Mahi, what's the relevance of that teaching? Like we taught in the Mishnah. He's carving the hazos al He's the al adam. Let's say somebody tried to sprinkle on an animal, which was not something, I don't know, because he was crazy. It was not something that could become Tameh, but in the end it actually went on a person. So the, the, it's a question how to exactly read this. Rashi reads it that the key here is what happened, not what the intent was. So it actually went on a person. So if it went on a person, that's considered a legitimate sprinkling. So therefore, in Yesh Be'ezov, Yishana, if there's anything left over in the hyssop, any water left on the hyssop, because they would sprinkle with the hyssop, you know, dumped into the water, then that water is still legitimate, and you can go and sprinkle again on the person. Now, let's say the reverse happened. Try to do it on a person and it's sprinkled on an animal. So again, according to Rashi, what defines the act is not what your intent was, but what happened. It was sprinkled on an animal. Oh, it was sprinkled on an animal. An animal is not something that can become tamay. So that doesn't constitute an act of sprinkling. So therefore, you use the water of the paraduma to do something that was not an act of sprinkling. So in that case, that invalidates what's left over on the hyssop. Wow. Shani, like do, do it a second time. Yeah, because it's doing like avoda with the water of the of the of the paraduma, which invalidates it. In Yesh Be'ezob, lo yeshana, if there's anything left over, you cannot do it a second time. So again, you could have read this the opposite, because what's not clear is, is are you focusing on intent, or are you focusing on what happened? But Raji focuses on what happened and says, if what you did was an act of sprinkling, then that's not problematic. That's what you do with the water of Pardum, you sprinkle it. So anything left can, can still be used. You can sprinkle, imagine you just said you dipped it in, and I'm sprinkling on one, two, three, four, five people, right? Just because I sprinkled on one, I can keep on sprinkling on the other. But if the first thing I sprinkled on was not a person, then what I've done here was not a legitimate act of sprinkling. It invalidated the water, and I cannot use what's left on the. But why does it invalidate the hyssop? The hyssop is no, 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 no. There's some liquid left on the hyssop. That's the point. No, it's all. I was using it in the act. It was all part of the act. It was all on the act that I was doing with the hyssop. Some left the hyssop, some stayed on. But it was all the act was being done for all of the water on the hyssop, okay, and therefore exactly. Well, yeah, but they're all together at the same time, and you're all doing it. So therefore, it's like I voted with that. So that's what the rabbis learn. Al hatameh. It only constitutes an act of sprinkling if it's done on somebody that is somebody or something that can become tameh. Even if presumably that person is currently tahor. He has to be able to become Tameh. If it's something like an animal that cannot be Tameh, then it is a different type of an act. That's what they learn. But Rabbi Akiva learns, no, it only is effective on a Tameh person. On the Torah person, it has the reverse effect. So the Gemara says, my time is Rabbi Akiva. What's the reasoning of Rabbi Akiva? Nichtav Rachmanavi Zahatahor Allah. Let it just say the Torah person should sprinkle on him. Obviously, we're talking about a Tameh person. That was the context. 
my al hatame. Why does it underscore the tame person? Shmamina al hatame tahor. Only if you sprinkle on the tame person do you make him tahor. Al hatahor tame. But it's the reverse. If it happens on a tahor person, you would make him tame. For Abbanan, the rabbis would say, Again, it seems a little redundant. We just said this. That word tame is to tell you it only is considered an act of sprinkling. It's done on things that can become tame. Okay, it doesn't matter if you're tame or tahor. If it's a thing that can become tame, it's an act of sprinkling. But regarding your argument that if it was sprinkled on a tar person, it would have the reverse effect. So they say, That's a kavachomer. If it makes a tummy person tahor, how much more so should it make a tar person keep in tahor? This is crazy the way you're reading that word. You're a tummy person, it makes tar. A tar person, it makes tummy. What's crazy? Well, this piece of meat, then everyone would say it'd be fine, right? The meat can become yeah. tummy. Right. Rabbi Akiva says, you know what? You're right. It is crazy. Fine. But that's what we say about the paraduma. That's what Shlomo says. I thought I would be wise and it was distant to me. I thought I could understand Kola and then I realized that I can't understand Paradum. It has the exact reverse effect. Okay, so Rabbi Akim says, you're right, it is crazy, but what can I tell you? That's what a Paraduma is. It makes star people tummy and tummy people tahor. Okay. So Gemara says, Rabbanan, I'm sorry, So the rabbi say, look, you're right. There is cases where a, tam, a person becomes Tameh by handling the ashes of the Paraduma, just not by being the recipient. Okay, there it's our Kavachomer. We wouldn't go so crazy. But there are cases where a tar person becomes Tameh by handling the ashes and what is that? The person that does the sprinkling, Mazet, and Mazin Alav, the person upon who the sprinkling takes place, those are always Tahor. Nogea Behen, who becomes Tameh? The person who touches the ashes. He is Tameh. But if you're the sprinkler or the sprinklee, then you are tahor, even, and even if you started tahor, you remain tahor. <coughs> okay, so that's the debate. Rabbi Akiva makes this very extreme position that it actually always does the reverse. So the who is and the rabbi say, right? right. What? That's what they're saying. Right? Yeah, that's what's, that's what's ironic about <coughs> it, is that, yes, if you do touch it, you become tamay, but in the normal cases, you remain tahor. So they're not going to make it as, they're not going to make it as crazy as, uh, you know, they're they're going to try to limit the right. sort of paradox of paraduma. Rabbi Akiva is willing to take it to an extreme. The rabbis are trying to limit it. And now we're going to really see how the rabbis do try to limit it because the simple sense of the verse is that the sprinkler becomes Tameh. So on the one hand, Rabbi Akiva took from a, a subtle hint in the pasuk, which you know could easily be read otherwise, to say that it absolutely does the reverse to you. Even if, if you're tahor and you get sprinkled on you, it makes you tamei. The rabbis then go in the opposite direction. They take the simple verse, which actually speaks about becoming tamei, and they limit it. And they actually, you know, do uh, they actually say that it does not apply in the cases it sounds like it applies. Let's take a look. So the gemara says. Um, so the gemara says. Mazet Tahor, is it really true that the, according to the rabbis that the one who does the sprinkling is Tahor? The verse says, It says the one who sprinkles has to cleanse his garments, which means he becomes Tameh and his garments become Tameh, and he goes into the mikvah. And it says the person who touches it becomes Tameh. So the Torah is explicit that it's not only the one who touches it who becomes Tameh, it's also the one who does the sprinkling. So how did you eliminate that from the Pasuk? So the Gemara says, no, my mother no gea. 
Now, when the Torah says the one who sprinkles, it doesn't literally mean the one who sprinkles. It means the one who touches. So the Gemara says, Taksiv Mazev, Aksiv Zogeya. You can't say that. Besides Michael's point, why should I reinterpret it? But it says both. It says, Umazei Meyanidai Yichabes Lagadav, Fanogeya, Bemeyanidai Yitvara Arev. It says both. So obviously they're different people. So clearly also the sprinkler becomes Tamei. Oh, and not only that, it's clear in the Psukim that they are, are different categories. Mazeh Vaikibus, the one who sprinkles, it says Yichabes Begadav. Not only is he Tamei, his garments are Tamei. Vaikibus Begadim, he needs to cleanse his garments. Nogea lo Vaikibus Begadim, if you touch it, just your Tamei, not your garments. So clearly there are distinct categories and clearly the Mazeh is Tamei even more so than the Nogea. So the Gemara says, no. Elamai mazet no se. Sign. You know what mazet means? It doesn't mean the guy who sprinkles it. It means if you carried it. So again, no se. So if that's true, let the Torah say, somebody who carries the waters of the Paraduma. My time exceeds mazet. Why does it say the sprinkler? If according to you, the sprinkler is not tamay. So to tell you, yes, you're only tamay, not if you do the act of sprinkling. Then you get a pass. You only tell me if you carry it without doing the act of sprinkling. So why does it say mazet? Because only if you carry the quantity, the minimum quantity that you need for doing the sprinkling. Now, what is that quantity? That's fine if you say there is a minimum of amount of water that has to be sprinkled on a person. Then we could say it says the word mazet to tell you you need to carry that minimum amount. But there's a position that says that even if the tiniest amount of water hits you, you're tahor. There's no minimum amount. So Michael Amemer, so what can you say? There's no, the, the word mazek cannot mean the amount that you need to do sprinkling because there's no minimum. So the Gemara says, um, Even if you say that the sprinkling does not require a minimum amount, that's on the back of the person, meaning that there's no minimum amount that has to hit you. If you're the one receiving the sprinkling, even the tiniest spray, the tiniest dot makes you tahor. Okay, there there's no minimum. In the vessel, I dip my hyssop into the vessel that has the water and the ashes. That, there has to be a minimum amount of water in the vessel. It is not a minimum that has to hit you, but to do the, the ritual of it, I have to start with a minimum amount of water. How much is the minimum amount of water that's considered enough for doing the sprinkling? Now, this is not so much a minimum shear in a formalistic way, it's just practical. There has to be enough water that I can dip the heads of the hyssop into it and be able to sprinkle. Right? If there's such little water that by the time I dip the hyssop into it, it all gets absorbed into the hyssop and there's no sprinkling will take place, then obviously I can't, it's not, I can't physically do it. So it's funny to call that a shear. Shear usually means the physical act you're able to do, but we're going to make a formal requirement that you need to do X amount. Okay, here it's actually describing the shear in the, in the, in, in the, um, you know, in terms of what got to make it physically possible. I guess that you could say theoretically it could be such a little amount that normally a normal person wouldn't be able to dip and sprinkle, but I somehow managed by luck to do it, and even so it's no good because it's not the normal minimum. 
But anyway, the point is, is that there's a minimum amount of water you need in the vessel to do the act, even if there's no minimum of how much has to touch you, the person receiving it. So what the Gemara is saying is, yes, the Torah says that the person who sprinkles the ashes of the paraduma is Tamei, but the rabbis, in the exact opposite of Rabbi Akiva, who wants to push the paradox, the rabbis are trying to limit the paradox. And the rabbis are saying, give me a break. The guy actually making you tahor becomes Tamei in the process. So no. The guy who's doing the sprinkling, he's tahor the same way you're tahor. Everybody involved immediately in the process is tahor. It doesn't matter if you started Tamei, you started tahor. The mazet and the mazina lavar tahor. What does the Torah mean when it says the mazet is Tamei? That means a person who carries it and is not doing the process. And the reason it uses the phrase mazet is to tell you that there needs to be a minimum amount of the water enough to do the hazaah. But the point of the rabbis is to get say that at least if you're directly involved in the process, you remain tahor. They're trying to limit the paradox, whereas Rabbi Akiva is really trying to amplify it. Yes. That's at least what I'm saying. I don't know. I mean, you know, you can only speculate on what's behind it, but it seems interesting that Rabbi Akiva is pushing the paradox, and they are taking a simple pasuk that says the mazet is tamay, and saying, no, 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 it doesn't mean the mazet, it means the no say. Okay. Yeah, the mazet is the guy sprinkling, and then the other guy who is, ha- who is having it sprinkled on him. Right, and the no say is the mazet. No, 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 no. Uh, no say just means you're the guy who's doing the sprinkling, and I'm carrying it to you, and I'm saying, here, here, is, here it is. So I've carried it. There are three people. If the mazet also is a no say, right. now then, you know, now great, then he would also be, it would affect him. But if all he's doing is the act of sprinkling, and even though he k- picks up the thing and he, you know, carries it in his act of sprinkling, <laughs> it was, that what does not make him come in. In fact, you don't know that it's not enough until he dips it in and gives a flick. <laughs> well, that's true. That is true. Okay. So what we have said now is is that we have gotten to an interesting discussion about the paraduma and the paradox of the paraduma and Rabbi Akiva pushing it. By the way, it's interesting. You know, Rabbi Akiva enjoyed paradoxes. You know, Rabbi Akiva was like the one. You know, he said. You know, he saw the fox coming from Harabayas right. and he laughed and this is a simon of the Yula. And anyway, so Rabbi Akiva pushes the paradox of the Paraduma. Everybody, you know, tell her people become Tomei, the rabbi's limited. But according so according to Rabbi Akiva, um, how do you sprinkle on the Kohen Gadol? Uh, uh, every day he becomes Tomei. If he, if he was start becomes Tomei, he can't do the Avoda. So as soon as you do sprinkle, then it would just say he wouldn't do the Avoda. So the Gemara says, it must be our mission is not Rabbi Akiva. Abayam, Abay says, Afilu Tamer Rebbe Akiva, our Mishra could be Rebbe Akiva. The Avi Avoda Kulayam, it's, just, it's all just an issue of scheduling. You get him to do the Avoda the entire day, Vilfanya, and in the evening, meaning at, you know, 5.50 p.m., right before sunset, Smadule, you sprinkle the Tavil, he goes to the mikvah, the Avi Harev Shemesh, and then it's nightfall. So it's just, well, what's the problem? Sure, he'll be Tomei until nightfall. So you arrange the sprinkling, Ten minutes before sunset, you have him go to the mikvah after, and then he's tomorrow, so he's telling me for a whole ten minutes, end of story. The rabbi says, just a scheduling issue. Okay, fine. So it could work according to Rabbi Akiva. It, it is interesting that the Gemara did not suggest the possibility that actually you would not do the sprinkling every single day. That seems to be, although without our Mishnah, that seems to be a consensus. I'm trying to remember from the Gemara before. Um, one minute. No, you wouldn't get any fourth day. That I know. Hold on. Um, yeah, there was a debate whether it would only be three and seven or whether it would be... Yeah, there was a position 
that it would only be on days three and seven. So that could have worked better if it was only on days three and seven. Then at least it would have that would have partly eliminated the question. At least you would have had all the other days to be uploaded without having to worry about it. Okay. Anyway, let's. So anyway, but that's that. Okay. So point number one is we've already learned before that you do the Hazai every day, or though as I met, just now mentioned, there is an opinion day three and seven, and now you do the Avoda every day. And according to Rabbi Akiva, that might create a problem of making you Tamei, but the Gemara either says it's not Rabbi Akiva, or you do the Hazai at the end of the day. Now we get on to the actual specifics of the Avoda. So what did the Mishnah say? It said you did Zrika Sadam, and then you did the Haktara, you burnt the incense on the gold altar, not in the Kodesh Kedashin, in the um, Ulab, in the Heichal. And then you did the Neiros. You cleaned out the Neiros. So let's take a look. Umaktos haktaros umeiti the Neiros. So the Gemara says, Alma, you see from this, haktaros b'reish of hadr Neiros. The order of the morning avodas in the base of Mikdash is first you do the incense and then you do the Neiros. That's pretty clear from the Mishnah. Ramino, I'll ask you. We divide it, though, right? We teach. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. Okay, so we teach the Mishnah in Tamid the following. So, meaning what Rashi points out that what we're doing is we're quoting the first line of three separate Mishnayot. The Mishnayot and Tamid talk about the sort of schedule of the day and the Seder vote of the day in the Beit Shemitah. So, it's the first Mishnah says, the person who got the cleaning of the Mizbeach, he would go first, and here's what he would do: A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Then that Mishnah is the guy who got the cleaning of the Mizbeach. Then it says um, the inner Mizbeach, not the outer one. The next guy, the, then the next person got the cleaning of the menorah and the preparing of the menorah. Here's what he would do. A, B, C, D, F, G. Then the person who got now the burning of the incense. Here's what he would do. A, B, C, D, F, G. So it basically tells you each person, what each person would do in the order in which they would do it. Okay, and there it makes it very clear that the order of the avoda is first you clean the inner altar, that's the one of the ketoras, not the outer one with the sacrifices. Then you prepare the menorah, then you burn the ketoras. So you see the menorah comes before the ketoras, the opposite of our Mishnah. So Amaravuna, Mantana Tamid, who is the author of Mesechet Tamid, Reb Isha Mitzbehu. He's Reb Shimon Isha Mitzbehu. Now that's some name to pull out of your hat. But what we're going to see is, is that we're going to see in a minute that we're going to quote a Mishnah that he has, he says something, okay? And therefore, um, we are assuming that he is the author of Masechet Tamid. So basically what we're saying is, is there a contradiction between Yoma and Tamid? What the order was? Fine. There are different authors to those Masechetas. The author of Masechet Tamid is the Shimon Isha Mitzvah, and he thinks that the order is, first you do the Menorah and then the Knoreth. The author of Yoma thinks that the order is opposite, first the Ketoreth and then, and then the Menorah. Okay, so the Gemara says, One minute, one minute. Reb Shimon, Isha Mitzvah, says the exact opposite. Nan, what are we taught? We teach in the Mishnah over there in Tamid. Balo, meaning not that he teaches the opposite, but that he is the, is the opposite of, he's not the author of Masecha Tamid. We, meaning, when it says Ipcha, it doesn't mean Ipcha in terms of the order of the Avoda, but it means that Reb Shimon Isha Mitzvah is, it's the opposite of what you said. He's not the author of Masecha Tamid, he's a contrary voice to Masecha Tamid. How do you know that? The Tanan, we taught in the Mishnah. Balo Lekeren Mizrachit Tzvonid, it talks how you do the Zrika Fadam by the Korbanot. Okay, so basically, the way you would do the Zrika Hadam would be that you would do anything other than a Chathas, you would do two, which is four. So, meaning, here's your ramp, here's your Mizeah, okay, whatever. Anyway, 
Okay. So this is the oh, this is here. Right, north this is Okay. So that's east, north, west. So you would go up here, you would turn to your right. You always turn to your right, which is right the the collar walking around the chasan. You're always going counterclockwise. Okay? So you turn to your right and the Kongado walks around like that. Okay, so he would do the sprinkling on two corners, which and he'd make them hit at, make them hit at an angle. <coughs> he would do the sprinkling for the blood. Okay, so here, and then he'd walk around, and then he would do it at this angle. Okay, so he'd throw the blood there, not when he'd throw it, right, and he'd do two, which would manage to get all four corners. So that's what the Mishnah Tummy teaches. It says, He went up the ramp, he came to the northeast corner, right? He puts the blood, he throws the blood that it hits on the east and the north. Then he came to the southwest corner. Okay, you know, saying Maravadrama, and he puts the blood on the south and the west. The Taniyallah, that's what the Mishnah says. Then the Brighta teaches, Rabbi Shimini Shamitzah, he says that would be true by all Korbanos, uh, except the Chathas, by the way. Chathas would be on the uh, 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 placing of the blood on the, on the actual horns on the corners. That would be by all the Korbanot, you're right. But by the Korban Tamid, we're going to treat the Korban Tamid differently. And what are we going to do by the Tamid? He would Mishaneh, he would treat differently the Tamid. And what did he do? Mizrachit Tzvonit, Noti Mizrachat Tzvonit. I agree that northeast, he does one throw and it hits the north and the east. But, Ma'aravit um, Romit, when he got to the southwest, so, Nosein Ma'arava, there he does two applications, not one throw that hits, that hits, two, cor- that hits two sides, but two separate applications. First he does the west, the, the, the west, then he does the south. So according to him, you stand at this corner and you throw it and it hits these two. Then you get over here and first you, and you do two applications. First why? you throw there and then you throw there. So it gets disgusting to me. Okay, why he feels that it's different. Is he walking around the base at the No, bottom? he's actually walking around, what's that thing called? He's actually walking around like the car code. The car code. He's actually walking around some like middle level ramp, okay? Yeah, the thing that's like a bleak top. Exactly. So anyway, the relevance for us is is that the sta- you have the Stam Mishnah and Tamid, and then you have a brighter that this Rabbi Shimon Isha Mitzvah has a contrary voice to the Stam Mishnah. So it's nice that you honed in on this on on, the, on him. First of all, there are very few named named voices in Tamid anyway. A lot of it is Stam. So you honed in on him as the author of Tamid, but he's not the author of Tamid. He's the contrary voice to the author of Tamid. Okay, so he, you can't say that the Mishnayot Tamid are going according to him. Clearly, he argues on the Mishnayot of Tamid. How does the rule of Stam Mishnah of Mayor play into all these? Yeah, I could have or? said that, but uh, we're trying to. Uh, yeah, it's not clear why it doesn't go straight there. Clearly, it had this name, and it wants to, you know, sort of pin something on this yeah. name. Okay. So the Gemara says, okay, Elamer of Yochanan. So Yochanan said, fine. Mantana Seder Yoma, Reb Shimon Isha Mitzvah. Right? Fine. Okay. So if Reb Shimon Isha Mitzvah is the contrary voice in Tamid, then we'll say that he's the author here in Yoma. All we've got to do is just say that the author of Yoma is different than the author of Tamid. So Yoma, the order was Ketoret and Menorah. Tamid, it was Menorah and Ketoret. Fine, they argue. There's one author of Meseches Tamid and one author of Meseches Yoma. So this Rabbi Shimon, Isha Mitzvah, who we know, that argues on Tamid. He'll be our author of Yoma and say the order is different. 
Okay. says, don't think you're going to get out of it so easily. Virami, say to Yoma, say to Yoma. I'll show you a contradiction even within your Mishnayot of Yoma about which comes first, the, the Torah or the Menorah. This not, we taught in a later Mishnah. Because what we're about to shift into in our Masechet is before we get back to talking about the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur, we're going to sort of spend time talking about what the normal Avodah would look on a normal day in the Beis HaMikdash. And in that description of the normal Avodah of a normal day, it talks about four lotteries that they had every morning. Basically, they got all the coining to together. They had them all stand in a circle. They randomly picked one. We'll see later how they picked one. And from that guy, he says, okay, you, you do, there, there are like ten avodas to be done now, starting from you. You do one, then two, then three, then four, then five, then six, then seven. And those ten guys do the next ten avodas. Then they all go do their avodas. And a little while later, after that's all done, they all get together, do another lottery, and randomly pick somebody to do the next thing, you know. And then they, so they have four separate lotteries. At each lottery, they might be picking one person. They might be picking a series of people to do the next number of avodas. That's what happens sort of as they would be doing this. You know, one of the reasons is that it would just create a lot of, like, busyness and commotion and excitement in the Beit HaMikdash, and that was seen as a way of heightening the sort of respect and, you know, the importance of what was going on. So in that discussion of the various lotteries that they would do, here's what it says. It says, Pius Hasheni, the second lottery, they gather everybody together, and then they pick, one guy would be picked at random, and starting from him, Mishochet, who would do the Shechita, the first guy that they picked would do the Shechita, and then going around the circle, Mizorek, the ne- who would do the Zika, the next guy would, you know, the lottery would determine who would do these, because the first guy they picked would do the Shechita, and then moving around the circle, of the, of the Tamid, of the daily sacrifice, and then moving around the circle, Mizorek, the next, who would do the Zika, throwing the blood, Mimidashen, Hamizbeakapni Mi, who would clean the inner altar, Mimidashen, Hamizbeakapni who would clean the menorah, Mimalei Varim Lakeves, who would be the Lakevesh, excuse me, I did that, we got wrong. Who would bring the, the limbs of the of the Tamid um, up <coughs> onto midway? They would do the Tamid in two stages. They dismember it and bring all the limbs halfway to uh, on the ramp, halfway, and then they'd have a later stage where they bring it from the midpoint on the ramp to the top of the Mizbeach and, and offer it up. Okay, so who would bring them to the ramp? That's what they would do in the second lottery. They were heavy. They were divided up. Well, they were divided amongst many Kohanim. We'll see. Okay. Oh, so it wasn't, wasn't one person, they right? Like real barrels and things. They carried it. Uh, they carried it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, that would be the second. Pius Hashlishi the third. Chadashim liktores bovihifisu. They said anybody who has never yet had a chance to do the Torah, the incense, come and be part of the lottery. This lottery would only be for people that had never done the Torah before, because it was understood that the Torah was like a segula. If you did the Torah, you would become rich, and therefore. We'll, we'll see, okay? And because of that, they didn't want anybody to have an opportunity to do it twice. Only new people could do it. So anyway, the point for us is, is that it's very clear what the order is. The order is cleaning of the inner altar, menorah, titoret, right? Which is what we say over there in Tamid, cleaning of the inner altar, menorah, titoret. But it's not what we say here. Here we say titoret and then menorah. <coughs> so we have, we have later in our Masechet and in Tamid, that it says that the menorah comes first. How do you deal with our first Mishnah here that says the Ketorah comes first? So Amar Abaye, so says Abaye, Lo Karsha, it's not difficult. Kan Batavus Shteini Rot, Kan Batavus Chameh what Michael said, which is that the Gemara is going to learn out later that they would divide up the cleaning of the menorah in two stages. Okay, first they would clean out, you know, um, um, what do you call it? First they would do two, and then they would go ahead and they would do the Ketorah, and then they'd come back, and then they would do five. Okay, one minute. No, I, it's the opposite order. 
Okay, which is why Abai said the opposite order, which is why I hesitated. First they would do five, then they would do the Ketorah, then they come back and do the last two. Okay, I know it's a little strange the way he says it. Okay, but when do we say in our Mishnah that the Neirot comes later? That's the last two. When do we say in all those other Mishnayot, in Tommy then later, that the Neirot comes first? That's the first five. So you would do five, we'll see when we get to it. You would do five, then you would do Ketorah, then you would do two. So some of them say one comes first, some say the other comes first. It's really that they came both before and after. Okay. So the Gemara says, Memra di Ketorah Smastik So that sounds like that what they use, because everybody assumes, as we'll see as we continue, that there would be some act that would be done between the five and the two of the Nerod. But the question is, which act? So what you have to know is the following. You have to know that basically you had the following order was agreed upon. You had the Dam you had the Dam Hatamid, okay? Then you had the um the, you had the menorah of doing five, then the menorah of doing two. I'm sorry. So you have the menorah of five and the menorah of doing two. And the question was and the other thing that we know, by the way, is that first you do the Dam of the Tamid and then you do the Kitara. That the Kitara comes after the Dam, okay? So that's known that this is the order known that this is broken up. So there's a debate, how would you break this up? There's two possibilities, okay? You could do it the following. You could do Gam, Menorah, Torah, Menorah. That sort of fits with what we've been saying. Right? So some of them say because 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 then you have because that's something that say sort of, you know, like our Mishnah says you do the Dam what does our mission say? Comes, I'm getting confused already. Ketorah and Nehrot. So our mission says do the Dom, Ketorah, and Nehrot. So that sort of skips over this. Dom, Ketorah, and Nehrot. Another mission I speak about the Dom and Nehrot. Speak about the Menorah and the Ketorah. Speak about this. Anyway, that's one possibility. But another possibility is... Okay? So Dom and Ketorah have to come in that order. That's assumed... So the question is, which breaks up the menorah? Does the Dom break up the menorah, or does the Ketorah break up the menorah? So to explain our problem, that some Mishnayot say menorah and Ketorah, and some say Ketorah and menorah, we basically assume that we were doing the Dom here and the Ketorah here. Right? And then you can explain some that say menorah and Ketorah, and some that say Ketorah and, and Menorah. There's a reason for anything you have to scheme, right? Yeah. Because we'll worry about why what's based on in a minute, but there's an assumption that it has to be Dom and Ketorah, and then the assumption that the menorah has to be broken up, and the question is, how are they uh, broken up? With the dumb? What? Well, yes, until now, but we're about to challenge that. So let's take a look. Okay, the, our mission mentioned the dam, right? Our mission said zorik es adam. The other Mishnayot spoke about Medashin es Menorah, did not mention Dom, okay? But anyway, Abaye's answer, this was Abaye's answer, right? That the Ketoros came in the middle, and then explained some could say Menorah and Ketoros, and some could say Ketoros and Menorah. But now let's see what the Gemara asks. Because the Gemara says, you're, that's, you're saying that the Ketoros is what divided the two parts of the Menorah. Mm-hmm. Abaye was, it's a funny phrase, because literally that means like he would, he would like, you know, is what you would do when you would sort of place the wood on the uh, wood fire on top of the Mizbeach, is that you would like, you know, organize the, uh, the, uh, the, you know, the, um, the, um, the, 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 yeah, the, uh, the, the pyre. But here, Masadim Ma'arachah, like, in front comes to the word of like, 
you know, to teach, to being Misader, a teaching of Mishnayot. So he would teach over the order of doing the Avodah in the Beit HaMikdash in the name of, the, of tradition. He had a tradition about the order of the base, of, of the Avodah in the Beit HaMikdash. And when he teaches over the order of the Avod and the Beis HaMikdash, he says it's the blood that interrupts the two parts of the Menorah, not the Torah. Okay, so how do you explain that? So, Amri Lokasha, It's not a problem. Again, it's going according to different opinions. One is going according to Abashol, one is going according to the Rabbanan. What is it? The Beit Abashol and the Rabbanan, which interrupts the Tami, which interrupts the Torah. Whether it says which one trumps the menorah, is it the ktaros or is it the dam? The time we turn the bright up. Lo yetiv v'senerod v'achach yaktir el yaktir v'achach yetiv. Okay, do not go ahead and clean the menorah and then do the haktara. Rather, do the haktara and achach and afterwards clean the menorah. Now, what does that mean? So Raji explains what that means is do not do all seven of the of the menorah and then do the haktara. Ella Yaktir No, Haktara is Torah, the incense Rather do the incense and then finish Okay, meaning that the way that's being read is Don't do, meaning Don't do all of the Menorah And then do the Torah No, do the incense Do the incense in between and then finish up Okay, it's a little vague Because it, it doesn't sound like it needs to interrupt But that's how it's being read Okay, so first do the Torah and then finish up the Menorah. So that's being read the way we were reading the Mishnah Yod before with the Torah interrupting the Menorah. That's Tanakama. Okay. We, we, let's worry about the reasons tomorrow. Let's just first get the facts down. Abishol Omer, Metiv Achrikach Maktir. Abishol said, no. I think that you are, that you fully do the Torah and then you uh, and then you one minute no. I think Metiv I'm sorry you fully do the lighting right and then you do the Torah uh, right which is this which is you fully do the lighting so if you're going to interrupt it you're going to interrupt it with blood and then the Torah comes after okay so is that clear the first position said do some of the Torah here's the the first position said do some of the Torah before you're finished with the Menorah there has to be Torah and then Menorah so that's the first way we said that works with the Mishnayot, that the Ketar comes in between. Do the Ketarat and then finish the Menorah. But Shul says, no, no, no. Finish the Menorah fully and then do the Ketarat. So then what are you going to interrupt it with? According to him, you'll interrupt it with the Dam. Okay? Abba Shul Omer, first fully do the Menorah, Achach Maktir, and then do the Ketarat. My time at Abba Shul, finally let's get to some reasonings. What's his reasoning to say that the that the Ketarat um, comes after the Menorah is finished? Well, it's a pasuk. First, do the neirot, and then it says, and then you burn the incense. So that's why I finish all of it, and then burn the incense. Rabbanan, my Rabbanan, and the rabbis would say, my What is the Torah saying? They're saying it doesn't mean you finish all of the lighting and then you burn the Torah. It means during the period of the lighting you do the Torah. Which actually means do the Torah in the middle of the lighting, right? But Bokeberg goes, Behitiboa Tene Rose, during the period of the Menorah, so you do it in the middle, you don't do it after, you do it during. Okay, so basically what we have here is that the rabbis say, Behitiboa Tene Rose, Yakimana, the Torah takes place in the in between, you know, between the two parts of the Menorah. And that explains the Mishnayot that sometimes have the Menorah before and sometimes after, it has the Torah in the, minute, in the middle. 
Abaye, who says the Dam is in the middle, is following Abishal. Abishal says, first you finish the Nerod, and then Yakti Rena, and then the Ktaran. So if it's going to be divided, it's going to be divided by the Dam. Okay, so we'll continue with that debate tomorrow and finally start getting into some of the reasons behind that. Uh, uh,